This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Hey everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for downloading another episode on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. I am the Doc, John Macaroon. This is the one-on-one podcast where we get a chance to interview those working in the field in sports here in Detroit. And here in studio, Sterling Heights. He took me up on my offer. He is the voice of the Oakland University Golden Grizzlies. You can hear it on AM 1130 WDFN, Neil Rule. Thank you for coming in here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. No, it's great to be here. Anytime, because look, I, I love podcasts, man. I, I came up talk radio all the same way everybody else did. So anytime I get a chance to be on, I'm going to do it. And it's, uh, it's what I like to do. And here we are. Let's go. Do you hear this quite a bit? Whenever I see you on television covering the games, whenever I hear you on the radio, I just say, the first thing I say to myself is, wow, he just has a voice for radio. Do you hear that a lot? And it's just an amazing voice and one that is definitely suited for radio. Yeah, well, not as often as I hear I have a face for radio. <laughs> I, I hear that one a little bit more. No, I, I do get that, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's just the way I talk. So <laughs> it's good that it helps in my field. There's no question about it. But it is. It's what I love to do. I mean, my parents worked in Carfax. I have a similar story as, you know, as we look out the window here, probably 95% of the people that live in this area, I got the same story. Both my parents worked in the car factories and uh, they put me in a position where I could go to school and try to chase down doing what I wanted to do to kind of live my dream. And that's what I've done. I mean, it's been hard. It's been a lot of hard work and maybe doing some work that necessarily you didn't want to do. Uh, but that's that's what I did, and I've been fortunate in that respect. I get to do what I love to do every single day. I mean, I lived that other life for a little bit where I didn't love what I was doing every day, and it's hard, and, and I have much respect to everybody out there that doesn't get a chance to do what I do for a living. I, I understand that battle, and uh, I'm just I'm, I'm fortunate, I'm lucky, blessed by God, blessed by a good wife, you know, all that stuff, all, that, all the cliches, you know, they, they certainly do apply. So you grew up in Eastsider? I did, uh, Eastside till I die. That's right, Eastsider rider. That's right. We're recording this here in Sterling Heights. What were some of your early sporting memories? Were you always a sports fan or were you like some that have come and talked to me about broadcasting that they maybe wanted to be the next Ernie Harwell? Uh, Well, it's funny because I think I have the same story as a lot of sports broadcasters. Growing up, I played a lot of golf as a kid. I played a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball. And uh, I was fairly competitive in golf. I was all county in golf. I got a small scholarship offer to a D3 college that I it, it dawned on me once I wrapped up my high school golfing career that I, I didn't pack the game to be on tour. So a lot like a lot of other sports broadcasters out there, I thought that I was going to be a professional athlete till you realize you're not. And uh, I thought to myself, what's the next best thing that, that I can do to stay involved in sports? Now, as a kid, and I never got the chance to tell Ernie Harwell this, but I did get the chance to, to tell George Blaha this. A kid growing up, it was bedtime or whatever. The Dukes of Hazard was over. My parents would make me go to bed. And I would turn the radio on and put it under my pillow and it'd just be loud enough so I could hear. Nobody else could hear. So they thought I was asleep. Many nights they thought I was asleep. Many West Coast nights for the Pistons or for the Tigers. They thought I was asleep and I was up there listening to Ernie Arwell, listening to George Blaha. And that's that's the biggest memories I have of my childhood. And I remember even playing the game. And I know a lot of sports broadcasters did this where you flip through the radio to see what stations you could get from different cities and stuff like that. But for the most part, it was all George Blaha. It was all Ernie Harwell. And 
recently I do I do backup work for Mark Champion on the Pistons radio network. So I do play by play for the Pistons, you know, one or two games a year whenever they need someone to fill in. That's that's when I come running. <laughs> but um I got a chance to tell tell George Blaha this. I said, George, if you would have known, if my parents would have known how many nights I spent listening to you do games instead of being asleep like I was supposed to. So I would have gotten in a lot of trouble. And he told me, he said, Neil, don't worry, I won't tell him. So that's uh that that's really how my childhood was spent. And kind of an offshoot to that, I thought I was gonna be a professional athlete, but when I used to shoot baskets in the driveway, uh, my parents always heard me doing this but never made fun of me for it, which which I appreciate to this day. Uh I would shoot I would play a game with myself where I'm shooting baskets and count down the clock and do all that stuff and do the announcer bit. So uh you know, it was always in me a little bit. The announcer side was always in me a little bit. And uh, as I got through school, that's that's what I decided I wanted to do. So here I am. Yeah, my parents might not have known that I was staying up late, but my teachers definitely knew when the Pistons <laughs> back in 89, 90 were playing yeah. the, uh, the Trailblazers and those West Coast games. I mean, I was like, okay, how do I watch this? And uh, staying up late, okay, good night, everybody. Yeah. Get into bed and stay up and watch the the uh, the Pistons play in, in the in the NBA Finals and, and win a title. What were some of the early sporting memories that you recall that stuck with you as a kid watching the teams around town? Ironically, my first story that I remember... And little did I know that this would hold true for a very long time. I remember, I vaguely remember Eddie Field, Eddie Murray's field goal missing wide uh, in the playoff game at San Francisco. That that is to this day that's the first sports memory I have of watching the games, you know, with my family. And I remember my dad always saying, "Just give the ball to Billy Sims, and <laughs> they'd be able to score." So I remember that. Then obviously that morphed into the Detroit Tigers winning the World Series, and which they did in 1984. I remember in 1987, the Pistons' trials and tribulations as they came up with Isaiah Thomas. And that's that's why it was such a huge honor for me when, when the Pistons called me to do a game last year in Washington, D.C. I was floored because, as I said, I, I was I was all about games on the radio because my kids will never know this and your kids will never know this. You didn't have the satellite package and, and you didn't have the uh, the league pass and you didn't have it online where you can get in pretty much any single game you want to watch. You can go watch right now. You didn't have that. You got your team on maybe, maybe 20 games a year, maybe. And the rest of the time, you had to listen to it on the radio. So radio's always held up, too, because when you're driving, you have no other, you can't watch the game while you're driving, at least not yet. I know that time is coming where the cars will drive themselves. But in the meantime, radio's all you have if you're driving around town and you want to listen to the game. So I was always fascinated by it. I always loved it. Uh, that turned into you know, Pistons winning a championship. I remember 1987 when the Tigers lost to the Twins. I remember crying as a as a nine year old boy, uh, <laughs> and that was really the last time I cried about a sporting event. Pistons won their back to back champions. I mean, everyone else knows the the story. The Lions actually winning a playoff game. I remember being in the stands at the Pontiac Silverdome when they won. And little did I know that that would be the only time that I ever see that in my lifetime so far. But uh pretty standard you know coming through then the Pistons winning championships or Red Wings runs as well so pretty much the same that everybody else has and being a lifelong resident of the Detroit area those were great times man I always hold them sacred and and to this day I still do all everything that goes on the Tigers run to the world back to the World Series I haven't cashed one in which we'd all like them to do but they, they haven't as of yet and still hoping to one day see that Lions magical playoff win Okay, so after graduating high school, you're an Oakland University guy, correct? Uh, yeah, well, originally I went to Saginaw Valley State, and here's here's the part of my story where I think I relate to a lot of people. I went to Saginaw Valley State for a year, and things didn't necessarily work out for me academically. Um, I struggled with newfound freedom, as a lot of teenage kids do. Um, I was used to 
people kind of being over your shoulder and saying, do this, you have to do that, you got to do this. In college, it's not like that. And I'm a guy that always seems to operate at a four-year maturity curve. I'm always usually about four years behind uh, the times where I should be. And my wife will tell you this. When we go grocery shopping, I'm the one that's sliding the fruit roll-ups into the shopping cart and stuff like that. Even still, uh, to this day, she'll say that she has four children. And it was a struggle at first. So you know, I, I, I left Saginaw Valley and took, took a little bit of time off school, then came back into Oakland and uh, actually went to Macomb Community College and got, a, got an associate's degree in radio and television, then transferred to Oakland and went that route and got a degree in journalism. And that's, that's the way that, that I work things. And, and look, there's no shame, man. There, there's no shame in any of that. Like People think that – I notice this when we're at Oakland and we get resumes for an open job that we'll have. The first thing everybody does is they'll put – their GPA or, or what they've done scholastically. And I've always been a person that's more curious about what you've done in, in relation to the field. I mean, anybody can be a good student. Hey, heck, as I found out, if you just show up in college, you'll get a two-point just showing up. You'll get a 2.0 minimum. Um, but it, it, was, it was a struggle for me at first. So I, I, I came back. I went back to school after uh, when I was in the process of getting married to my wife. And you know, I had that little, I guess you would say, nudge in the right direction. So I got it together, and, and I figured out what I wanted to do exactly. And more importantly than figuring out what you want to do, you have to figure out how you're going to do it. And and I was a guy, look, I delivered pizzas until I was 31 years old, 32 years old, to make this all work. And that's the difference. When I go and talk to classes right now, and, and always I always get a question from a student. They always ask me, they say, how do I do what you're doing? I say, never quit. Because I, I started out as a writer. My first job ever in sports media, I was covering the Detroit Fury, an arena football team here in town. I was covering them for a website that I wasn't paid. I just did it because I liked it. And I, I scheduled classes around it. I scheduled my work around it. If I had to work weekends to make it happen, then I would work weekends to make it happen because it's what I wanted to do. I love doing it. I love being around it. I didn't necessarily love being around delivering pizzas and stuff like that. But you do what you have to do to because you do need money in the world. <laughs> so you do have to do what you got to do to make money. But that's that's how I did it. And I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and never stopped. And I never told anybody no. If the Fury would ask me to do something, yes, yes, yes. I became friendly with George Sipple at the Detroit Free Press. And he suggested me to the people at the Free Press about possibly coming in to, uh, to help being a stringer and doing high school sports and stuff like that. And they gave me a call when I was actually on my honeymoon, and I said, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I'd love to do that. So that became another part-time job that I had. I worked at the Free Press. Then I delivered pizzas, and then I would squeeze in whatever broadcasting stuff I could do or whatever writing stuff I could do. That evolved into a lot of freelance writing gigs. I was the, the main freelancer for the WNBA, so whatever team would come to town, I'd write for their paper. Uh, a lot of Little League World Series work down in Taylor. Boxing matches, uh, Michigan basketball when the regular beat writer couldn't be there. I never said no. To this day, I've never said no. When somebody's asked me to do something, here I am 14 years later, I have never said no. And that's the biggest disconnect I see with students or people that want to get in the business today. They say, well, it's my cousin's birthday on Saturday night and they're having a party. Well, who cares? You know, Obviously, you want to be there, but if you say no, then you're in line behind me and I'm never going to stop. So you're out. That's, that's how quickly it happens. And the people at the Free Press, they always told me that. They said, you're always available. Yeah, I'm always available because this is what I want to do. And you know, I just kept at it and kept at it. And uh, unfortunately, as everyone knows, there was kind of a downturn in, in newspaper, in the newspaper industry. So right around the time I was finishing up my degree at Oakland, I kind of got pushed out of the free. I'm going to say pushed out. I mean, let go from the Free Press just because everything shrunk and budgets and all that. I totally understood that. That happens. 
Um, so I was finishing up my final year at Oakland, and I started doing play-by-play on the student radio station there for basketball. And at the time, Oakland had just started doing their games on professional radio on WDFN, which were still there to this day. Mario Pemba was a play-by-play voice, and he had wanted a partner because he was doing the game solo. And they suggested me, and uh, Mario requested a tape. I sent him a tape of me, and he said, yeah, I'll work with you. And that's kind of how it became. We had a four-year relationship where we worked together all the time. We're still great friends to this day. He's my mentor in this business. Whenever I have an industry question, and you and I were talking before uh, we really got going here on the air, and, and you know you have nothing but positive things to say. He's he's one of the best, man. He, he's one of the best broadcasters, and as good of a broadcaster he is, he's a better person, and, and he's my go-to guy to this day. I'll call him right now if I need if I have a question. I'll text him right now. He'll answer and, and give me his thoughts. So I cherish that. I really do. And it's like everything else in this business: the relationships. All businesses are the same. You do it because that's what you do. But the thing that you take out of it is the relationships you develop with people. And that's that's really what I'm most thankful for throughout this entire ride. So I know that was long, long-winded and everything like that. But that's my story in a nutshell, man. And here here we are today. No, it's very fascinating. And there's a lot to dig into with, with what you just said. But uh, let's just talk a little bit about the time where you were at Saginaw mm-hmm. and you realized, okay, you know what? I'm starting to have some maybe self, self-discipline problems, yeah. maybe some issues with you know maintaining the discipline that you need mm-hmm. to succeed academically. What was it that made you go, okay, you know what, it's time for me to change my thinking, change my ways in order to reach my goals. What, what Was it something someone said? Was it a no. self-realization? Yeah, it, it was more of a self-realization in that you get older and you, you, you look around and you say, wow, people are moving on right now and they're getting things going and you're behind the eight ball. You know, you're not, you're not on equal footing with everybody because you've fallen behind by a couple of years. And you, you go, I went through that little phase and one day you just kind of wake up and you just, you're more mature. And at the time, like I said, I, I was engaged to my wife, and you know that's she was a, she's a successful professional. She's a teacher, and she's tenured, and and she's she's. I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but she's one of the best teachers in the state of Michigan. She is because of everything that she has to deal with and raising three kids, having a husband who's from November to March every day. I'm I'm I sleep at home. I sleep at night in a hotel because I'm on the road covering Oakland, or the Pistons have picked me up, or I'm doing something else, and. You know, she's essentially for half the year raising three children as a single mother. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And I know a lot of people don't like to term it that way, but real talk, that's what it is. And you get to that point where with her, I said to myself, I said, you know, you got to get your act together here. I said a different word than act, but I try to keep it as a family, uh, <laughs> a family podcast here. But I said, you got to get it together, man. And, and that's what you do. And, and sometimes you just wake up and then the light's on and like I said, it just took a little while longer for the light to come on with me than it does with some people, but it came on. And again, once once the light's on, everything's equal. You just you you got to develop a plan of attack to get to where you want to be. Tell me about the journalism program at Oakland University. My cousin Adam went there, mm-hmm. earned a journalism degree. Tell me a little bit about it, and what you learned there, and uh, how you've taken some of the things you've learned there and applied it to to your work now. Well, it, it's funny to me because. <laughs> When it came down to decide where to go to school, it was going to be Eastern or Oakland because I wasn't a guy that was going to go away to Syracuse or Northwestern or a big time place like that. Like I talked about, the son of two factory workers here, you know, in, in Metro Detroit. So it was going to be local, and it was going to be Eastern, or it was going to be Oakland. And knowing that I wanted to go into sports media, I said, "Wow, you know, Eastern never wins at anything, and Oakland does." This is the year I decided to go to Oakland was the year they went to the NCAA tournament in two thousand five. I didn't even notice that they were, I think it was a 13 and 19 or 11 and 19, whatever the record was. I didn't care about that. I knew they went to the NCAA tournament and I said, I want to be around a big time program that goes to the NCAA tournament. So that's why I decided to go to Oakland. I didn't take into account journalism schools or anything like that. And this is a little secret out there for everybody that 
maybe are critical of college athletics, they drive enrollment. Don't be fooled for a second that they don't because they do. I, I'm proof. I'm telling you. I strictly went to Oakland because I went to the NCAA tournament in 2005. No other reason. Do they have a journalism school? Yes. Does Eastern? Yes. Well, I'm going to go to Oakland because they win. Bottom line. So anybody that's critical of college athletics and, and their place and things, I'll give you that real-life story. And Oakland made their tuition money off of me going to school because they won at basketball. And that's it. So, And it turned out to be the best decision anyone's ever made in the history of broadcasting because to this day, everybody that I've talked to in this field, nobody has had my story where you go to college, you get hired by the college you went to, so you stay there, and then you, you catch on here and there with the NBA team in your town, and then that morphs into doing the Detroit City FC soccer stuff that I do and the Detroit Waza Flow arena soccer I do and everything else that, that I do. That has never happened in the history of broadcasting where, where a guy that wanted to be a broadcaster stuck in his own hometown. So obviously, 100% it was the right decision to go to Oakland. And the journalism school at Oakland, it, it's growing They've only been Division One for a handful of years right now. 1997 was when the decision was made to go Division One. So, so they're growing. They don't have the time on the block that a lot of the other places do. But I, I'm very proud of our journalism school. I'm very proud of of what I've done. I'm very proud of what Lauren Podell has done. Dave Kim is another guy uh, that that's been you know in this industry here in the city for a while. So I'm proud of all that. I'm proud of everything that the journalism department is doing, and that's why you know John. That's why you you asked me to come on the podcast. Yeah, I'll be there. The journalism department asked me to come to speak to the kids. 100% I'll be there because I owe it to that because that department has put me in the position I'm in right now. I mean, obviously, my work has had a lot to do with it. Uh, sacrifices my wife has made it has had a lot to do with it. But that journalism department has had a lot to do with it, too, and the opportunities I got at Oakland that you might not have gotten at other places. I got reps. You know, It's a rep-based business, doing games. I, I, think I've done, I think I've done, I'm pushing 700 games now in my career. You don't get good in this business by accident. You don't show up and be good at this business. You get good at it by doing games. There's no other formula. It's like losing weight. You got to run on the treadmill, man. That's just the way it is. And you got to push away from that ice cream sundae or that donut. That's just the way it is. There's no other secrets, man. There's no pills. There's nothing you can do other than doing it. Okay, now I read a little bit of your bio on WXOU.org, and there was a little interesting blip here where it said that from, from a colleague, Steve Steger, he said, when he walked out of an on-air read for a journalism class, Steger complimented Rule and suggested he get a show. What happened yeah. with that? Did you kind of show a little bit of angst in a class or something happened that no, didn't I, go exactly right? Uh, I had a news class. One of my first journalism classes I had at Oakland was a news class, and part of the curriculum uh, was that you had to go to the student radio station and do the 12 o'clock news. They would always have a student do the news at noon every single day. And it was from the news class and you had to write it, produce it, go on the air and do it. So I went and did it. And, and Steve Steger, who worked at the station at the time, he's actually doing television. He's another guy. I forgot to mention, he's another guy. He's a, a TV reporter in Denver right now. And uh, you know, he's another guy that's really contributed a lot to the J school at, at Oakland. And <laughs> he told me, he said, you should do a show. You, you seem to be a natural at this. And I said, you know what? I do listen to a lot of sports talk radio. Yeah, let's do it. So I signed up for a show right there. And that's that's some of the luxuries that you're afforded at Oakland, again, that you might not get at a Syracuse or another place. Is you can just show up and get a show, find a time that fits in your schedule, and go do it. So I did it all the time. showed up every week, did my two hours of talk radio on my own, produced everything, did everything. Uh, when I started doing games at WXAU, there were no commercial breaks. When the game started, they said go, and you were there till the end, and through halftime, through everything. So it really taught me, as you guys can tell, I'm capable of carrying on a conversation. And uh, that, that really, uh, looking back on it, that that set the groundwork for, for what I've been able to do. And, and I'm really thankful, really appreciative of it. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you've done a lot of different things. You have a lot of different interests, mm-hmm. whether it be hosting a show, play-by-play, maybe working in newspapers. What kind of do you naturally gravitate towards? What do you like the best? Play-by-play. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's no there's no question about it. I mean, when, when, you, when you're in a building, when you're in an arena, uh, I've been in the greatest college basketball venues in the country. I've been at Kansas. I've been at North Carolina, UCLA, Gonzaga. Uh, Michigan State, Syracuse. I mean, we've been we've been everywhere. You name a big. T- I've been in every big time college basketball venue outside of Duke. That's the only place we haven't been. When you're at Kansas and there are eighteen thousand people that are in the arena thirty minutes before the game tips off and they're doing their chants and everything and they're right on top of you. The, the fans are right on top of you. They're the number one team in the country. You get off the bus and their fans are three deep as you and you, during your walkway into the arena, telling you that you suck and stuff like that. I mean. It's it's the the greatest high that's out there. Um, it, there's there's nothing that can feel better than that. There, there can't. There's not. I mean, there's just there's no way that there is. It's it's the greatest feeling in the world when you, when you go. When I did the Pistons Thunder game this year in Oklahoma City, and and Kevin Durant's out there with Russell Westbrook and Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson, and you know these are the greatest players in the world. And people are looking to me to describe the action of what's going on. Kevin Durant's the greatest player I've ever broadcast. I've never got a chance to broadcast LeBron or Steph Curry. But Kevin Durant is unbelievable. And that was my job for the day, was to describe Kevin Durant playing. I mean, there's no there's no feeling that's ever going to beat that. That feeling, even at the arena, when there's over 4,000 people in there, when they're playing Detroit and the lights go out and the crowd gets hype and the music starts playing for the pregame intro video and everyone's looking to you and you're calling the game i mean that's it's an incredible feeling it's it's the best in the world man I, nothing will be play by play i do like doing talk radio though i do enjoy it i do enjoy getting people riled up i enjoy people getting me riled up it is a lot of fun uh but nothing will be the the rush the juice of play by play now since we started the podcast the metro series has taken on a life of its own mm-hmm. where it's must see all the journalists are showing up right they're great exciting games both games this year were very exciting what's led to the resurgence in the in the metro series what's led to this rivalry between Oakland University and the University of Detroit Mercy our athletics director Jeff Konya has you know he he's come in from uh Cal Bakersfield and, and he's stopped at some big time stops along the way you know, he was at SMU he was at Memphis when Calipari was there he gets it like he understands what it takes to, to make these things into a big deal and and give the people at Detroit a lot of credit too because the story is and I can't confirm this but it's out there the story is that Detroit maybe didn't want to see Oakland in the Horizon League but I don't think there's any question that both sides have benefited greatly from it because there's I'm guessing there's no energy in Callahan Hall like when the Golden Grizzlies in Detroit get it on and there's 6,000 people in that building and I know there's no energy at the arena like there is when Detroit and Oakland are playing and there's national ESPN the games are on ESPN now and everything's become so big time and you really have to tip your hat and and the rest of the sports feel it too I I do baseball soccer softball for ESPN three all the other sports teams feel it too they 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 feel an added piece of juice in there because something's on the line when they play each other and the sides don't like each other I mean a, a lot of people will People in the offices will say that they're frenemies and stuff like that, but I'm here to tell you, being around the athletes, they don't like they don't like each other. That this is real, I'm giving you guys real talk right now. They don't like it, but that's what makes it great. What do you remember from the Red Wings and the Avalanche? You don't remember a mutual respect and admiration. You remember people bleeding on the ice. That, that's what you'll always remember, and that's you know the hatred and, and the you know that's what drives. That's what that's what creates passion. There's no other way around that, and there's passion when these two teams play, and and the media has has taken an interest because you can't fake that. That can't be created. That's something that that's something that just grows through time, and you 
know, these, these two teams have, have gotten after each other. And fortunately for us on our side and the black and gold side, the golden Grizzlies have gotten the better of it. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, well, it's fine by me. Now, speaking of Oakland university and mid majors, a lot of talk has been about, you know, whether mid majors are represented fairly in the NCAA. Just quickly, your take on that. Do you think they're represented fairly? I know that the field is capped, so there are going to be mm-hmm. always some teams on the bubble that don't get in. But the organizers are responsible for putting on the best tournament in their eyes. But do you feel like the mid-majors are getting a fair shake with these uh, organizers and committees when they look and have these meetings and say, okay, this is the, the, the teams that we want in our tournament? No, no, they, they don't. And, and here's why. And I know this, isn't, this is going to sound shocking, but if you really sit down and think about it for about three seconds, you, you'll see that it's not shocking. As long as there's money on the line, and, and that's what – that's what they're playing for in the NCAA tournament. They call it a unit. NCAA will do everything they can to not call it money. So they call it units, and the units have a value of roughly about a quarter million dollars. So as you advance, you accumulate units, and they're paid out over a five-year stretch. And the deal is Power Fives are not in the business of sharing money. They're not. They make a lot of money, but to quote Patrick Ewing, they spend a lot of money too. So it's as long as money is on the line and money's being being played for it's never going to be fair that's just the way it is so as a mid major you just kind of have to put your head down and accept the fact that you're playing for your life when march comes around and it's not fair it, it's not fair that valpo didn't get into the tournament this year because they were as dominant in conference play as anybody else stephen f austin f austin if they didn't get in that would have been criminal but they wouldn't have make no mistake they would not have they, fortunately for them, they won their conference tournament and got in. But as we saw, they beat West Virginia. They were more than capable of being a tournament team. We saw Valpo go to the finals of the NIT. They were more than capable. So until people get to the point where they would rather see Valpo than insert your seventh place Big East team here, then it'll always be like that. And, it, and it's never going to change because the Big East wants that seventh piece of the pie. So that's just the way it is. And, and I don't, I'm not here to complain about it. I understand it. My only issue with it all is is the way that the criteria seems to be a moving target every single year. Well, this year it's RPI. So mid-majors do what they can to improve the RPI. This is something that Oakland did a lot back in 2010-2011. Top 60, top 70 RPI in the country. Well, now it's road wins. Well, now it's, you know, how you're doing down the stretch. Now it's it, it always seems to it always seems to move to be a moving target to fit their argument retroactively, if that makes any sense. You can, you and I can create a field the way we want it, draw the parallel conclusions and say, well, this is what we were looking for. You know how I know? Because this is how we set it up. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a little bit of a rant, I guess, but that is what it is. I mean, that, that's the truth. Just go look at it. And the, the, the now free agent head coach, the old Wright State coach, Billy Donlin, uh, has some classic clips about it, uh, at Horizon League Media Days where he says, you always notice that the mid majors are playing each other in the NCAA tournament because they want one of them out of there because then they don't get paid anymore. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just going by what Billy Donlin told me. He, he knows a lot more about basketball today than I'll ever know in my life. So, you know, I'll, I'll just go by what I hear from people that's on the record. I mean, it's no secret. That's the way it is. Okay. Now you spoke on um, one of your mentors being Mario and Pemba. Mm-hmm. And in reading your, about your relationship with Mario, one of the biggest things that he taught you was how to be professional as a broadcaster. So for those that are listening that are maybe in the field or wanting to be a broadcaster, how can they be more professional and be someone that people that uh, employ them can trust or rely upon to do the job as best uh, with great quality and integrity? Here's the biggest thing I learned from Mario, because we had our fair share of situations where things would go awry in terms of connections and equipment and all that kind of stuff. Never explode on somebody. 
especially somebody that's trying to help you because that makes them not want to help you <laughs> anymore. So, and you can apply that to life. It's just, it doesn't cost anything to be nice. And no matter how bad things are going and whatever, you have to be cognizant of, of relationships. I keep bringing this back up and I'll always tell this to, to kids that I talk to in classrooms, your success in this business is, is relationship driven. So you always have to have that in the forefront of your mind. And, and I, Mario taught me how to be professional in the way you treat people. He taught me how to be professional in the way you organize your information. You have to treat every single broadcast like it's Game 7 of the World Series in his world or me, the National Championship game or Game 7 of the NBA Finals. You have to treat every single game like that. And this is something that that I've learned and has really helped me is doing the games at Oakland and you're doing a softball game that says not commanding the the watching audience or the listening audience in terms of numbers that a men's basketball game is or a Pistons game is. But the passion is going to be the same. The people that are there are going to be even more passionate than the casual fan that's watching a game on TV or listening to a Pistons game on the radio. They're going to be more passionate. So if anything else, there's more pressure on you to do that softball game than there is on you to do the Pistons game in a weird kind of way. Because it's going to probably be family and friends that are listening, you have to be even more sharp than you normally would be. So you have to carry a level of preparation that's even keel throughout every single assignment that you have. And that's that's what I pride myself on. Look, I'm not the most polished broadcaster in the world. And Mario, through my time with him, never once has told me, I think you should broadcast this way. Never once, because that's you. And for anybody who is an aspiring broadcaster that's listening right now, your style is your style. Nobody can give you your style. And what I like to do is... I like to, and, and you've you've seen me, you've heard me do games before. I I kind of like to keep it a little bit hip, you know. I'll, I'll throw in some Drake references and stuff like that. But you have to be cognizant of keeping everybody entwined. So I'll even give a Barbara Walters reset on twenty twenty and stuff like that. I'll I'll go across the age gamut, and I'll try to be fun with it. I I'm never going to be a guy that's going to take it too seriously. And while I like my little catchphrases and my hook phrases and stuff like that, that game's about those people that are on the on the court or on the field or wherever, whatever game I'm on the pitch, whatever game I'm calling. That's what that's what the story is. I'm just a sidebar to the story. I'm the one that's delivering the information. So through that, you're obviously people are going to notice me and stuff like that. But the game is first and foremost. I want to give you the game story, but I do want to be fun with it because a lot of times, man, things have become so dry and there's no pers- personality is what what sells. People will listen to a game, in my mind, not not 100% of them, but there is a, a faction of people that will listen to the game because they like the announcer. I know when Kevin Harlan's doing a game, I don't care what the game is. I'm going to listen. If, I, if I'm on Twitter and I see, you know, I'm he's calling Sunday Night Football tonight and I'm driving around town, I'm going to flip that game on the radio because I love Kevin Harlan. And so, you know, I, I just, I try to be fun with it. I'm not the most polished announcer in the world, but I want to make sure everybody has a good time. What is your current job? Well, I mean, right now I'm, I'm director of broadcasting at Oakland. I also handle the social media there, um, the play-by-play voice of Detroit City FC and Detroit Waza Flow in the Major Arena Soccer League. Uh, I'll be doing some games for the Michigan Bucks this year. So I've, I've, through no real effort, I guess you would say, I've I've kind of become this this soccer guy that that does a lot of soccer. There's just not anybody around that does it. So, and and there's certainly an art to doing soccer. There's no question about that. Um, I'm not as as well versed in it as as I would like to be, but again, reps based business that will come through reps. What what I have going for me is I was the first voice of Detroit City FC, which which has pound for pound the best sports fans in America, not in Detroit, not in Michigan. Pound for pound, they're the best fan group in America. I mean, in terms of they have a smaller number. 
but you would never know it when you go to a game. They are they are absolutely incredible. They're some of the best sports fans in America, and uh, <clears throat> I just had the good fortune of being the first. So they, I think they just gravitate towards me because I'm the first and I'm theirs. So that's <laughs> you know I, I honestly believe that's that's the reason that they that they like me so much. It's not because I'm a great announcer or anything like that. It's just I was first and I was there. And Alex Wright and everybody that you know is with Detroit City FC does such a great job. I'm, I'm so happy. I love being a part of that. It's so much fun going downtown and, and being a part of that whole scene in any way I can be. And, uh, you know, I get to be the voice of them and it's awesome. And, you know, the, the fan base at Oakland, you know, we, you know, they seem to like me a lot and obviously I love them and I have a little bit of extra blood in the game being an alum and stuff like that. And see, those are the things too, like Jeff Coney, the athletic director and Scott McDonald, my boss, Patrick McMeal, my bosses at Oakland, they understand that, that when you have a guy that that's got blood and sweat in the game too, other than just somebody who's doing it for a living and trying to draw a paycheck, you can't buy that. You know, there, there's no, there's, there's no premium that's placed on that. You can't buy that. So, you know, they give me the free reign to kind of do my thing the way I do it. And, uh, everybody seems I'm still employed. The key still works. I mean, I don't know about today. I'm going to go in the office after this and we'll see if the key still turns, but I'm hoping it will. I, I, I think it will. And, uh, they just kind of let me do my job and, what does your job entail well, at Oakland University? Yeah, yeah I, I do play by play for every single game, every single game. And the Horizon League's done a great job in their deal with ESPN. So uh, I talked about men's soccer, women's soccer, volleyball, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, and softball are all broadcast on ESPN three. Uh, every single one of them. Now the men's basketball, obviously, and some women's basketball games get on on TV twenty, and all men's basketball games are on the radio. So I handle all that too. But I, I do every single game at Oakland, which in years past has been as many as 80 games in a season. Uh, so I'll, I'll do that. And that's really my, that's my primary job. My secondary thing is I handle the social media there, all the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. So follow at Golden Grizzlies on Twitter. Please help me out. Instagram as well. Uh, Facebook. And uh, that's been a lot of fun, too. I'm, I'm a big social media guy. I like it. I, I like to think I have a pretty good sense of humor on it. And I, I bring that over to Oakland and people I work with, uh, you know, Dan Glyde does a really good, good job with it too. He's, he's, he's become a very sharp social media mind as well. So, you know, it's, it's fun. I go to work every single day and have fun. I feel sad for people that don't, I I really do. But I, there's never been a day where I've, I've, I've woke up and said, man, I got to go to work today. Never, not once. What's been your favorite play-by-play moment broadcasting any sport or situation where you go, wow, this, these are a couple moments that stuck with me or your favorite calls that you've had. Uh, the, the NCA tournaments that I've been to, I've done two of them with Oakland. Those, those were cool. The police escorts and, and all the pomp and circumstance that goes along with being in the NCA tournaments. Awesome. Uh, the first Pistons game I did in Washington, D.C. against the Wizards. I remember getting on the bus and you know, Rick Mahorn. I'm doing the game with Rick Mahorn and the team's getting on the bus. And I'm like, wow, this is the NBA. Like I texted my wife. The, I called my wife the night before. And I said, I'm, you know, I made it. Because that's, that's my, my dream is to get to the NBA. That's... You know, everybody has their end goal, what they want to do. I want to get to the NBA in some fashion, and that's my dream. And for a day, for that 24-hour stretch, I, I was living it. I was doing it. And you know, I was fortunate enough to come back again this season and do some work for him too. And I host the Pistons. I'll be hosting the Pistons weekly show with Jake Chapman tonight on, on 105.1. So I've been able to be around it to, to, to some good degree. And you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud. There's a lot of emotions that go through your mind. You're proud. You're scared. <laughs> I'll give you a good story real quick. My first game that I ever did professionally with Mario, mm-hmm. uh, we were playing at Wisconsin, first game of the year in the 2010 season. And we get to Wisconsin, you know, the day before of playing lands and everything. 
We go through the night, go into the next day. It's about 3.30. The bus is leaving for the arena at 5. And then it really starts to set in, you know, what you're going to do. You're, you're going to sit down and work with Mario and Pemba. You're going to call Oakland basketball and professional radio. There's consequences, repercussions now if you if you mess up. And I got so nervous, I literally thought I was going to throw up. Like, I was I was choking it down. And I had to call my wife. And she said, Neil, you're good at what you do. You know, you 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 prepare. You're good. You'll do a good job with this. I know you will. And that that really calmed me down. I'm glad I made that phone call. And so it turns out we get to the arena, and in Wisconsin, the ISDN line has an issue, so I can't get <laughs> things connected. We're 30 seconds before we go on air, and finally I, I run a backup plan and uh, connect through a different medium. I get it connected. I said, all right, Mario, we're connected. Ten seconds. And then he, he did. he's a pro, so he buried it, and away we went, and we did the game, and everything was great. Wow, what you know, a great story. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So what did you say is one or two things maybe you need to also work on maybe to even get to that goal of being in the NBA? What would something that if someone were to critique Neil Rule, what would they say maybe he needs to get better at? Well, it's interesting because here's what I do need to do a better job of. I'm not a guy that likes to go back and listen. I don't know why that, and I found that that people don't like the sound of their own voice. Like you you tell me, and, and a lot of people have told me, they're like, wow, you have, you have a great voice and I enjoy listening to you. I've had a lot of fans tell me that. Uh, my producer back at WDFN drops every broadcast in a Dropbox for me. So by the time the plane lands, when we fly back, when I'm driving back from the airport, I can fire it up on, on the Bluetooth of my phone and actually go back and listen to it. I need to do a better job of going back and listening to everything. That's I do need to do that because that's the only way. That's the only way that you're going to know if your mistake here in broadcasting. Sixty-five percent of the time, when you make a mistake, the listener doesn't know. Only you know, and it it burns on you because you know, but they don't know. So I need to go back through and find out when those mistakes happen that are noticeable, figure out why they happen, and figure out a way not to do them again. So I need to do more self-critiquing. That's probably my biggest weakness that I have. And this is something I've been working on, too, just a way to stay more physically fit for the grind. You know what I'm saying is the travel and everything that goes along with it. We had a stretch in November where we did Detroit to Denver. Denver a game on a Sunday, uh, St. Louis on a Monday, a game on Tuesday night to Corpus Christi on Wednesday, uh, Corpus Christi shoot around in the morning. I set the radio stuff up for my replacement. I flew to Oklahoma City on Thursday, did the Pistons game on Friday, flew back down to Corpus Christi on Saturday. Sunday, we flew from Corpus Christi to Atlanta, did the game against Georgia, and then came back home. I mean, it was it was a grind. You didn't know where you were half the time. You just knew that there was a game coming up that you had to be ready for. So I... I, I I'm getting, I'm figuring out the connection between mind and body, and then that's something that I, in voice, you know, more importantly, a lot more tea, a lot more water. Um, I'm not as young as I used to be anymore. I can't just show up and, and do stuff without putting some preparation physically into it. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that I've really come to learn the connection to. Um, I had a chance and an opportunity to interview Ken Cal, and he told yeah. me that broadcasting and doing things so much. He he developed laryngitis one or two times a year. Have you ever had actual an issue with your voice before a play-by-play situation where you had to call a game? Is this real wood right <laughs> here? Is that real wood? Uh, no, not yet. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I've never I've never missed a game. Um, in that going on seven hundred games, I've never missed a game yet. So again, knocking on wood, I've, I've never had that problem, and I think that has a lot to do with because I picked up that. That, that physical activity and, and trying to prepare the body as well as physically prepare for the games. And, you know, from an informational standpoint, 
I, I feel like I've done a better job in that, even through all the as slippery as a flu season was. Like the flu bug went around my house. This one, two, three, four, got them all. My my two sons, my daughter, and my wife, and somehow I was able to maneuver my way around that, and I didn't get it. So again, knocking on wood, I've never missed a game. I've never been sick. I've never even really felt a lot of discomfort. I had to go to the bathroom one time. I remember in the NCAA tournament game <laughs> I was doing. So I was I ran. I sprinted out to the bathroom and got that handle and sprinted back just in time. Uh, but yeah, knocking on wood. No, I've, I've been good to go. What's What's great about working in Detroit in this area, Metro Detroit, is that there's so many things you can stick your teeth into: basketball, football, mm-hmm. hockey. Now there's other things too, like soccer. What's been the championship around town that you got most invested in and enjoyed the most? Because there's been so many with the Red Wings, the Pistons, the Tigers. Which one did you get most excited and most invested in? Probably the probably the Bad Boys uh, era championships because I just I hated. Magic Johnson and I hated Larry Bird and I hated Michael Jordan because they were everything that this city was not. LA and Boston were East Coast and West Coast and Chicago, the second city and and everybody loves Chicago and everybody loves LA and oh by the way here's Detroit this kind of grimy town where everybody's a factory worker and like I said that's what my parents did and I took exception to that. I took exception to the way that the nation viewed the city of Detroit because this is my home. And it gets a bad rap. And I live in a very nice area, <laughs> a very nice area here in Metro Detroit. They're very nice. I love going downtown. I love it. If it wasn't for having a backyard and everything that goes along with having kids, I would love to live in a high rise downtown. I love that. I love being in that mix of the city. And I love that about when we go to cities. I love staying in those hotels downtown and being on the 30th floor and looking out over. I love that. I would live, if it was just my wife and I, I, I would very much want to live downtown. But I like having the backyard for the kids and walk around the neighborhood and, and do all that kind of stuff. I I enjoy that. So you know, we we live out in the suburbs, and it's close to my wife's work, and I'm 15 minutes away from my work. So that's just the way things shook out. But there are a lot of people that are living down, down. Downtown Detroit is a great city. Detroit's a great city. Everything that the Red Wings have done down there, the Lions moving there, um, you know, everything across the board is great. It, it, it's a great city, and that's why I was so invested in those bad boy championships because I took exception to the way that Detroit was viewed, the way Detroit was treated. And, and you know, I try not to be that thin-skinned Detroit guy because there are a lot of people out there. You know, not everything is an insult. I, I get that. And I, and I get that the whole ruin porn thing where they show the Packard plant for the 2,000th and 35th time uh, in some New York Times story. I get that, and I get that why it appeals to everybody. But at the same time, there's great areas, too. I could go to New York or Chicago or L.A. and show you some bad spots, too. Yeah, exactly. And so what's great about Detroit as well is that, you know what, we've been through hard times, but right. it's been through, uh, we've been through so many things and we've been kind of knocked down, but there is a resurgence coming back. And now you see the downtown area right. with, the, with uh, Comerica Park, Ford mm-hmm. Field, the new Red Wings Detroit Arena, District, down, yeah. the Detroit District. It's going to be amazing down there. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and my hats are off to it. And we've, through the Horizon League tournament, we've formed a quite a strong relationship with Olympia Entertainment and Tom Wilson. And Tom Wilson's amazing to me because here I was, this kid that was covering the Detroit Fury for a fan website that wasn't paid or anything like that. And when I saw him again a couple years later, remember my name. I was I was blown away. He remembers everybody's name. It's incredible. But the work that they've done, you know, with District Detroit and the new arena downtown, and they're going to make it viable. I've always been a guy that I laughed at people that talked about what they were going to do with the the old Tiger Stadium, and I always laughed at it because. Everybody was talking about this stupid stuff that wasn't going to make any money. And let's be honest. I talked about the NCAA tournament. 
money is what saves things. Money is what does things. That's an unfortunate, you know, that's the way it is. That's the way of the world. So all these plans about what they were going to do with the old Tiger Stadium, I laughed at and mocked. But uh, Illich and, and Olympia Entertainment and, and Tom Wilson, they put the money into it. They've done it. They came up with the plans. They're doing it. You see shovels in the dirt, cranes in the air. They are doing it, and they and they will make and they will make it great. They absolutely will. I have no no doubts in that. Tom Wilson's everything he's touched turned to gold. Everything he's touched has turned to gold in this town. So, you know, they got the right people in charge. All right, you can follow Neil Rule on Twitter at Neil Rule N E A L R U H L. You ready to talk a little bit about current events? Yeah, let's go, man. All right, the, the topic of the day. A lot of people are talking about Stanley Johnson and his mm-hmm. comments. Nineteen-year-old kid, braggadocious, gets in there and has has been competitive with LeBron James, mm-hmm. but has come out and said that, "Hey, I'm in LeBron's head." A lot of people are talking like, "Hey, you're just a young whippersnapper here. Why are you coming out here trying to challenge?" a uh, established NBA veteran in a situation where the Pistons are down two to nothing. What are your thoughts about what Stanley Johnson's doing? He's brought, actually, I thought he's brought in a a, a nice young youthful infusion of energy and And edge and edge. Exactly. Yeah. I I love what Stanley Johnson's doing. And Reggie Jackson's another guy. He said at the press conference, yesterday, look, we're not scared of these guys and and they're not. Are they as good as these guys? Probably not yet. And and we've seen that, you know, the the Pistons bench has certainly had their struggles uh, in this series. There's, There's no question about it, especially what happened yesterday. But I love that. Stanley Johnson, and look, people don't realize this. We played, Oakland played at Arizona, his his one year that he played at Arizona. We played, so I was prepping for the broadcast. Stanley Johnson won a state title every single year he was in high school. That kid's been a winner everywhere he's been. So he doesn't take kindly to losing. He he's not a fan of it. He doesn't like it at all. And I like that. That's that's what you want. And we talk about Detroit grind, and I just talk about the disrespect that the city has gotten for a long time. I like guys like Reggie Jackson. I like guys with Stanley Johnson because when you play with a chip on your shoulder, when you play with an edge to, you're a much more dangerous player. So I love that. The Pistons are, and look, Stan Van Gundy has flipped this rod. There's only two players on the team from when he took this over two years ago. So he's done this on the fly, and he's done it well, and all the checkpoints are in place. Are they going to beat the Cavs? Probably not, but they're going to grind. They're going to grind on them. The Cavs... If this series, I really look for Detroit to get one of these two games at the Palace. They will get one of these games. Even if the Cavs win in five, they will pay the price to win to win those five games. There's no doubt about it. The Pistons, I've been really impressed with, with how they've come out, and they've been scrappy, and they've been edgy, and they've battled the Cavs step for step. They're not quite as good as them yet. Now, when we talk about the Pistons now, you can obviously see that teams in the past have been built as a unit. And the one thing when we talk with fans and we talk with other people, the biggest debate is, do the Pistons need that superstar like a LeBron? So when we get into series like this, you can get the calls or get the guy that in the fourth quarter late, he gets that key bucket when you need it. Because you can see this group can hang with the Cavaliers for well over, you know, 35, 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. But throughout the course of 48 minutes, who's the guy that's going to get the key shot? Do the Pistons need a superstar or you're a fan of building a strong team and let's see what happens with it? Right. Well, if you're not going to have the superstar, if you're not going to go the superstar route, and and I believe that Andre Drummond can can be that superstar. You look at the impact he had in that basketball game yesterday, and you tell me he's not a max player in the NBA. I mean, that's crazy. I heard people talking about that today. Well, I don't know if you get that's crazy. He is the best rebounder in the league. And to go stat geek on everyone, I know the free throw thing. I know he shoots thirty five percent. He doesn't have to improve to a seventy percent shooter or even a sixty percent shooter. He's only got to improve to about a fifty percent shooter. To go stat geek on everyone, that would put him at one point per possession. So if you foul Andre Drummond, theoretically, every possession you foul him, the Piston would score one point. So for you to make up any ground, 
you would have to go two points on your possessions, so you would have no margin for error. So that's that's what it's going to take. He doesn't have to get to 60 or 70. He just needs to get to 50. And look, I know I know that Tony Paul sent a tweet out. I said this on the Channel 7 Sports Cave over the weekend, and Tony Paul sent a tweet out kind of mocking me a little bit because that's what Tony is, and Tony and I are good friends. And I think that's why we're good friends because we can take jabs at each other. And uh, he said, oh, is that all he's got to do? Well, yeah. Yeah, that is all he's got. He's just got to make 15 more out of 100. That's it. It when you start breaking it down, it, it seems much more obtainable. It, it really does. So that's going to be on Andre if he wants to be a great, the truly great player. That's what he's going to have to do. And I, I getting to know him a little bit. I did some work with him for American Express with him and his mob, and really got a chance to talk with them and, and for an extended period of time. He's going to do it. I'm, I'm telling everybody, he's going to do it. He's, he's a guy. He, he's not going to fail. He will not fail. So. With all that being said, if you're not going to go the superstar route, you better have a damn good bench like that like that 04 Pistons team had that won a championship with the the Mike James. You better have it in Mehmet Oker and, and all those kinds of guys. So you, you better have a damn good bench if that's the way you're going to do it. But we got to give it Stan Van Gundy. So give him more than two years, guys. I mean, he, he's now just now done paying the draft price and everything like that. They'll have their own draft pick. So give him some time. And I know people don't want to hear that, but it does take more than two years to take yourself from that roster they had, only keeping two guys getting you to where you want to be. So the track record, you don't have to believe me. Look at Stan Van Gundy's track record. It speaks for itself. One of your early memories you told me was Eddie Murray for the Lions missing that field goal. And when we had you on our podcast a few months back, you told us that you're one of these Lions fans now that's just at the point of exhaustion waiting for some success. Yeah. Well, now we're at the point now we're on the verge of the NFL draft, a time where everyone peeks in to see what this Lions organization is going to do. I get a sense there's a lot of new energy with the hiring of Bob Quinn, a lot of renewed hope. A lot of fans are kind of getting on board saying, okay. Slowly but surely slowly they are. Slowly but surely getting on board saying, listen, it's time. We've had this long track record of losing. It's time to now put together an organization. And it could be worse, you know, starting, you know, going forward in a new regime without that quarterback. Your thoughts on Matthew Stafford and now the Bob Quinn regime? Well, first off, on Matt Stafford, I I, I don't want to say I'm a Matt Stafford guy, um, but at the same time, you can win it. You can win with Matt Stafford. You can win a playoff game with Matt Stafford. What you can't do is not have a player from the 2010 or the 2011 draft on your team. You can't do that. You can't win like that. There's there's no way. I mean, these guys should be in the prime of their careers now. Five years in into the league, they should be in the prime of their careers. So. I believe you can win with Matt Stafford with the right cast around. Now, I know that everybody's starting to feel it a little bit, and we're getting around that Lions Super Bowl time, a.k.a. the NFL draft, and, and I get that everybody's picking back up. And, and they didn't jump on right away when, when Bob Quinn took over, and I, I'm supportive of the Bob Quinn move. Not that it matters if I'm supportive of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just a fan. I'm just a Lions fan like everybody else. I was a season ticket holder in the whole bit. I, did, I do like where he comes from. I do like what he did in New England, but I'm not giving a free pass. Show me, show me, go out there and draft players because that's been that the reason the Detroit Lions aren't good is because they can't draft. And I'm not, I'm not breaking any new ground. That's not, well, how are you crushing the Lions like that? Go look at the draft picks and figure it out for yourself. It's grim. When you, when you go back through time, pull up all those drafts, look at those second round draft picks. That's an embarrassment. That's a flat out embarrassment. They haven't hit on anybody in the sixth round or the seventh round or anything like all the classic formulas that you have to have. The 49ers have fallen, risen, and fallen again through the draft. Through, through that team, that Jim Harbaugh team that went to the Super Bowl, that whole thing was homegrown, all of it, from spots across the draft board. The Lions have not been anywhere near 
They've been the worst. They've been the worst in the league at it in the draft. They have. I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody worse. Maybe you make a case for Cleveland, but is that the company you want to be in? I mean, he has to come out and draft well, and I I like to think he's going to do it, but I'm I'm not buying in. I'm not giving him a free pass. You know how I'll know if he does it or not? If they're in the playoffs next year. That's how I'll know, because that's the way you have to win in the NFL. You need that young, more importantly, cheap talent, that cheap talent that you get from the NFL draft, especially in the later rounds. That's how you win football games. That's how you get to the playoffs. So I'll know if he did a good job with the draft, if they're in the playoffs. If they're not, then I know he didn't do a good job, and we're right back to square one. Now, you said you were a former Detroit Lions season ticket holder. Uh, What's the best venue you've been around uh, lately in town? In town, in terms of being here, I mean, it's it's always going to be the Palace. I mean, they just keep... They keep reinventing the place. When you walk into the palace, when you even drive up to the palace, the building was built in the 80s, the late 80s. I mean, it's incredible. The, the upgrades that they've done and, and they've kept with the times and the, and the in-game experience and the big screens and the light show and everything they've done, it's everything you want it to be. It's still a hell of a great place to watch a basketball game. They do a great job of presentation, sound, everything. If you're in the upper echelon and you're doing the, the, the club life and everything like that, that's great. I've had a, a fortunate opportunity to do that a couple times. I mean, it, it's all—it's just awesome all the way around. They keep reinventing the place, and I know that everyone's about the getting them back downtown and everything. Like, why would you do that when your building's paid for and it's one of the best in the business? Still, twenty plus years old, it's still one of the best in the business. And when the Pistons are having success, and I They're remember, there. yeah, exactly, the fans are there. It's loud, it's ruckus, mm-hmm. and when you have those, you know, those plastic things banging into yeah. each other. It's a fun environment, and you know, Gores has come in there and revamped everything. It's a mm-hmm. nice place to go. That's why I exactly I agree with you. I'm not exactly sure why they would need to go downtown, but it would be very fascinating to have all four major teams in like one zone in the Detroit district. But I agree with you. I don't think they need to at all. No, and they'll draw if they win. Yeah, 100. percent It's like anything. It's like anything else. I mean, teams that that win draw well. That's that's the way it's always been with sports. That's the way it'll always be. And teams that lose, they don't draw well. Exactly. Neil Rule has been kind enough to give us his time, and he's been sitting with us, telling stories about his broadcast career, thoughts on sports around town. Now, we end interviews with this with all the guests that we've had here. You got four tickets. Any sporting event, any time in history, you can watch any single event. What sporting event, where do you go, and who do you take with you? What sporting event, and who do I take? Well, I'll 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 do it this way. While I'm thinking about what sporting event it'll be, I'll tackle who I want to, so I can take three people with me. Dead or yeah, alive, a, famous, friends, anybody. Okay, so I'm going to do, I'm taking with me, I'm going to take Elvis Presley, I'm going to take Jerry Glanville, the former Atlanta Falcons and Houston Oilers coach, and I'm going to take John Daly, the golfer. That's where we're going to go. And to be honest with you, I don't care where we're going to go because we're going to have a hell of a, a, hell of a time. <laughs> and, and Neil Rule, you are good at what you do. I can I see the, the police escort is here ready to take you <laughs> to Oakland University to do your job yeah. prep. I thank you for coming in here, sharing the stories. And the, the biggest sense I get is that you're very hardworking and you're very professional. And I'm glad to spend this hour with you. And I always say when you're having fun, time goes by. I blinked, 58 minutes went by. Yeah, I can't believe it as well. I, I can't believe it just tells you I talk too much. So, you know, whatever. But hey, that's why I get paid, right? Thank you, Neil. I appreciate your time. Thank you, John. Appreciate it.